The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Jonah. Uh, as you're turning there, let me just say thank you to, uh, to you as a congregation for allowing me to be gone. Uh, spent a great week in Kentucky uh, preaching to about 450 uh, middle school and high schoolers. Um, of that 450, uh, all praise goes to God. About 40 or so indicated a first-time profession of faith in Christ, and uh, we don't know. We don't know the authenticity of that. Uh, time will bear that out as as the Spirit of God lives inside of them and produces holiness that is other than themselves. But um, I just want to thank you for uh, allowing me to travel and and to do that once a year. Uh, I enjoy my time up there immensely. Um, it is good to have people like uh, Terry Layton and Wallace Hughes to, uh, to be here to fill in and, and uh, preach when I'm away. Uh, didn't they do a good job? Amen. And uh, so thankful for those men. Uh, while I was there, uh, you'll, you may notice me occasionally today or, or over the next few weeks, I'll kind of wince in a, if I move in certain directions. My wife tells me that Every single time that I play any type of sport that I'm going to hurt myself, and I'm beginning to believe her, um, I was on the volleyball court there at camp and uh, decided that, hey, I'm not so old that I can't dive for a ball anymore. Tried that, and I'm pretty sure that I've cracked a rib. And uh, so uh, if I cough, uh, it's going to look a whole lot worse than it does. Uh, it really is. So, uh, but uh, hopefully that won't affect the preaching today. Jonah. Let's look here. We've been walking through the book of Jonah, and uh, this is my favorite, favorite, favorite way to preach, is to just take the Word of God and just let it loose, and just walk verse by verse, line by line through the text, and then let God speak. And so I want to just catch you up. Jonah, we've walked through in chapter 1. Don't miss the fact that God is the one who initiates the conversation that God is the one who comes to Jonah. Jonah is not begging for it. He's not asking for it. God in his grace comes to Jonah and sends Jonah to Nineveh. Now, Jonah hates the Ninevites. He hates them because they are the enemy of Israel. He is very tribalistic. He is proud to be an Israelite. Uh, if, if, uh, if Lee Greenwood hadn't written that song about you know, proud to be an American, Jonah probably would have written it about being an Israelite. He's, he's proud, and he does not want to go to the enemy because he doesn't want them to know his God. He knows his God well enough to know that even though he said, go and preach against them, for their sin has come up against me, what he means is, go and call them to repentance, and I'm going to be merciful and gracious on them. And so Jonah runs the other direction. Instead of going five or 600 miles to the north and going to Nineveh, to one of the cities of Assyria. Instead, he goes south to Joppa, gets on a ship going to Tarshish, some 1,600 miles away, to cross the Mediterranean Sea, to run away, not just from the calling of God, but he says here, from the very presence of God. He thinks that if he can get outside of Israel, he'll get away from the God of Israel. And what we're seeing, and what we're going to see today, is that you can't leave God in a location. You can't leave him in a a box. You can't leave him in a building. You cannot leave him anywhere. God is in all places because God is omnipresent. And Jonah's going to discover this all too well as he attempts to run from God. 
Let's read this. I want to read from verse 17 and show you where he's gotten himself into. And I want to read through the, the entire chapter of uh, the book, chapter 2 in the book of Jonah. Let's begin in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, or the grave, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters, they closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, this morning, I've entitled this message, Retribution or Rescue? Retribution or Rescue? Sometimes, sometimes God's, and this is my first point, but I'll, I'll get there in a minute. Sometimes God's rescue can seem more like retribution. When I was a kid, I was probably eight or nine years old. It seems like all of my stories from when I was a kid happened around eight or nine years old. I don't know when, if I was really eight or nine or if that's the golden years, and that's what I remember. But uh, I was a kid, probably eight, nine, ten years old, and uh, my dad took me and my best friend swimming, took us to a local pool there in, in East Tennessee. And my best friend, Willie, could not swim which is a pretty good prerequisite for going swimming, that you can swim, you know. And so we did, Willie and I did, what you're never supposed to do at a pool. You're never supposed to run around the pool. Well, Willie and I were running around the pool on the outside. Willie can't swim. I'm chasing him. I'm about to catch him. And Willie, just before I reach out to grab him, Willie decides, safe place to be in the pool, jumps in the pool. Only thing is, his momentum carries him beyond the shallow end where he thought he was going to land, and he's now out into the deep side of the pool. Well, I jumped in right after him. My momentum carried me there as well, and it didn't take me long to realize that Willie, my best friend, is drowning. Well, I did the second thing you're never supposed to do at a pool. When someone is drowning and you're not trained, don't try to save them. I learned this lesson with first-hand experience. I decided I'll come up around Willie, I'll grab him, I'll hoist him above the water, I'll bring him to the shallow end, and I'll be the hero of the day. But as soon as I got close to Willie, Willie didn't wait for me to reach out and grab him. I, I thought he would be calm and, and allow me to, to rescue him. Doesn't happen that way. I go to him, and he immediately takes both of his hands, puts them on top of my head, and pushes himself up above the surface of the water. And he does this violently, and I'm fighting against Willie, and I'm trying to get free because now I've gone from rescuer to now I'm drowning. 
And I'm trying desperately to save myself. And, and I'd get loose and I would pop up and I would see my dad on the side of the pool. And I would say, Dad, he's out there sitting in the chairs. Dad, we're, we're trying to help. Dad. And Willie would put his hands on top of me and push me down again. And I would come up again. And the next time I came up, I saw my dad taking his watch off, laying it in the chair. I go down again. Willie's pressing me under. And then all of a sudden, I pop back up and I see dad over to the side and he's taking his socks off. And finally, my dad, after he's unrobed and didn't, got all of his clothes off that he didn't want to get wet, jumps in the pool and grabs both of us and just pulls us back. And my mind, similar to my mule story, if you've heard that one, I thought in that moment, my dad was not really trying to rescue me. My dad was enjoying me dying. I thought that this is retribution. I should have listened more. I should have obeyed. I should have held the flashlight right there, you know, because that's what Dad was telling me to do. And I thought he's now getting me back. Dad wasn't getting me back. Dad was my salvation that day. And sometimes we get ourselves into trouble because we're running where we should not be running. We're running away from the rules that have been put in place for our good. We get ourselves in situations, and sometimes we call out to God, help rescue us and on the way to coming his rescue seems more like retribution than it does rescue and i want to show you that in this this text this morning sometimes god's rescue comes dressed like retribution look at verse 17 this is what it says don't miss that the lord appointed a great fish to swallow up jonah he appoints this fish. Now, if we don't know anything else about the story, we would look in at this and think, oh man, it just keeps getting worse and worse for Jonah. First, he runs, he gets on a ship, and this storm comes. God hurls the wind. You remember that? He picks up the wind and hurls it at this ship, and it's threatening to break up. Now, all of a sudden, on the ship, they're afraid for their lives. They cast lots. The lot falls to Jonah, and they toss him overboard into the sea. One of my greatest fears is to be left in the sea. And Jonah's there. And now if that's not bad enough, now God is really going to get him and he appoints this fish to come and swallow Jonah. It's not enough that he's drowning. God wants to torture him a little bit more. But is that really what's going on here? Is God really enjoying watching Jonah get what was coming to him? I mean... Didn't we read that Jonah was trying to get away from the very presence of God and now doesn't he find himself away from the people of God and away from the word of God inside the belly of a fish? Could he be any further away from his God at this moment? So is he really getting what he had coming to him? Well, In a way, I would tell you yes. Make no mistake about it that when you and I rebel and we run against God, the fish is meant to be here a picture of exactly where that leads. The fish in some way is meant to be a picture of hell. That, that, that our sin and our rebellion will be a downward journey and it will lead us away from God. It will lead us into sin and death and that's what your sin does but my sin does. That's why Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. But don't miss that. That anytime we run away from God, anytime we rebel against God, it's going to lead to 
destruction. It's going to lead away from God. In some ways, we see Jonah here, just like the great theologian Forrest Gump said, stupid is as stupid does. And we think that he's just getting what was coming to him. He's just stupidly running away from God. So what, what else should he expect? He's getting what he deserves. But I want you to look past that this is exactly where his sin leads him. And I want you to see that it's God who is actually appointing the fish, not for the destruction of him, but he's appointing the fish in some ways to rescue him. Sometimes God's rescue comes dressed like retribution. Sometimes God doesn't answer your prayer in the way that you would have him to answer your prayer. Sometimes God allows us to suffer the consequences of our sin so that we will come to the end of ourselves and realize that He is our only hope of being saved. Sometimes He doesn't come running. Sometimes He lets us suffer those things. Sometimes He brings those things. He appoints this fish in the life of Jonah. Now, don't miss, and I could spend, some of you probably are going, man, I didn't realize there was this much in Jonah. Well, I could spend weeks on Jonah here. Just think about the fact that, that there is a fish that God speaks to and it's there. and It does what he wants. This is our God. Sometimes God's rescue comes dressed like retribution. Sometimes God doesn't answer your prayers in the way that you would have him to answer them. He doesn't show up when you would have him to show up. He doesn't take that thing away that you would have him to take away. You can't help but to think about Paul when he's there and he's struggling with whatever this thorn is in his flesh. And the Bible says there that, that he prays and he cries out to God three different times, God, would you take this thing away from me? And every single time, God rejects Paul, the apostle, and says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My, my grace will be enough. It's going to stay there because it's there. Even though you don't like it, it's there for your good. It's there for your rescue. It was in Paul's life there so that he would not exalt himself. If anybody could have gotten to the point where they exalted themselves, Paul could have gotten there. He was the apostle who wrote 13 letters, 13 books of our New Testament. Missionary that, that went multiple places and took the gospel and launched churches. And, and he's probably the most important figure in all of the New Testament other than Christ. If anybody could have gotten to the point where they exalt themselves, it could have been Paul. But God knows what's best. And God rescues him from that by dressing up this thorn like retribution. The application for you and I is what we see here in Jonah. This fish is appointed by the Lord. It swallows up Jonah. Jonah is in the belly of this fish for three days and for three nights. And then Jonah in verses 1 and 2, it says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Don't miss that. The application for you and I is that when you and I are in the midst of suffering... It may be because of our running from God that we're there. It may be just because God is sovereign and he sees something that needs to be either removed or added to our life. And in his sovereignty, he has deemed this necessary. So whatever situation you find yourself in, instead of running away from him and harding, hardening your heart, instead what we ought to do is what Jonah did in the middle of that fish, call out to God. 
And this is exactly the opposite of what we will want to do in that moment. What was it that the, the sailors tried to do as long as they thought they might still be able to rescue? They tried to use their nautical skill and tried to put the, the oars in the water and row. It says they tried to dig in. And the more they tried to dig in and tried to save themselves, the more they realized that the storm was just too powerful and too big. It wasn't until the circumstance became too challenging that they laid down their efforts. In the middle of this, before it gets to that point, I would challenge you, I'd challenge myself, because I struggle with this as well, that in those moments, that instead of us running to all those things that we know how to do and, and all those things, that, all those avenues that we think might help here or there, instead of those things, oftentimes what we need to do is say, God, this is a God-sized task. I can't do this. God, save me. This is the gospel. It's the gospel not just in the beginning that we must come to the end of ourselves and say we are sinners in, in just deserving hell and death and destruction and we must turn from that and call on God to save us. But it's also the gospel for those of us who have been Christians for a year or two years or 30 years or 50 years. That every single day of our lives we must come to the end of ourselves and say, God, we can't in this area. You can. So God, rescue us. Save us us it will not come naturally to you to do this it wasn't until Jonah was sinking in the sea that he came to this place where he called out to the Lord think about it even on the ship even on the ship he looks at those sailors when they're casting lots and they said to him the lots fallen on you where are you from what do you do what what should we do in order to cause this storm to calm down. Jonah says to them, toss me overboard because I know it's because of me that this thing's come on you. Jonah knows what's right. He has right doctrine. He has right theology. But he does not have right posture until God plunges him into the sea and he sees God as his only way out. It is possible to have right doctrine and right theology and still have a rebel's heart. And God in His grace saves us how He saves us. And sometimes it comes dressed as retribution. I mean, I imagine Jonah must have thought, now it's getting worse? Sometimes it will come dressed as retribution. Secondly is this, Sometimes God's rescue comes out of what we already know. Sometimes God's rescue comes out of what we already know. Now verses 4 through 7 or 3 through 7 is this prayer of, of Jonah's. Jonah's praying to God. And, and he's praying here, I think, partially from the water and partially from the belly of the fish. I think partially this prayer is when he's in the water and he has no way out and he's sinking and he knows death is certain and it's coming for him. And then part of it is, is also thanksgiving when the fish sweeps him up and he has time to sit in the belly of that fish. And you think, do you really believe that? Yes, we really believe that. So this is a prayer coming from Jonah, and if you, as one commentator said, if you were to take this prayer out of the book of Jonah and read it outside of the context, it would sound like another book. It would sound like the book of Psalms. 
you would read this and you would think, this sounds an awful lot like the Psalms. And you would think, boy, I should know this. What you have to understand is that it is Psalms. But it's not just one Psalm. It's not like it's Psalm 5 or Psalm 23 or Psalm 81. But instead, what Jonah is doing here from the belly of this fish is calling out parts of different Psalms. I want to show this to you. In verse 2, he says, uh, I cried out from the, of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. And Psalm chapter 3, verse 4 says, I cried out to the Lord. In verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Psalm 88, verses 6 through 7 says, You have put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. Verse 4 here in Jonah, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. In Psalm 31, verse 22, I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard my voice of, of, of my pleas for, my, for mercy when I cried to you for help. See, what Jonah is doing here is Jonah is remembering in the midst of his, of his trouble what he's already learned when he was with the people of God and with the Word of God. What he's doing is here, he's in the middle of this, and God is bringing to his mind all of these things that are true about himself that he's learned as he's sang the Psalms in, with the people of God. As they've opened the Word of God together. As he's heard it time after time after time after time. And it's been hidden and, and massaged deep down into his heart. And in the moment where he needs salvation the most, these things that he maybe thought, I'll never use that, came bubbling to the surface. And this is why it's important for you and I not to neglect the, the assembling of ourselves together. This is one of the reasons why we come together on a weekly basis where we gather in this room. It's, it's not for the music in and of itself. It's not for the preaching in and of itself. It's not, it's, it's not for the fellowship in and of itself. But God uses all of those things to dig wells for us. It's important for us to fill our minds with Scripture, and that's what we do here every week. If you're not in a Bible study group, I challenge you to find a Sunday school class where you can get in, get in with the people of God and, and where they teach the Bible. I just came out of the membership class, and, and we had several people in there this morning, and we went around the room and introduced ourselves, and one of the common themes from the people in that class this morning was, my Sunday school class is making all the difference in my life. It's important that we come together and we get into small groups where we learn the Bible together. It's important for us to work at memorizing verses of Scripture together. We print this verse on the front of your bulletin each and every week. It's on the website. It's, it's in the bathrooms on the walls. And we don't do this just to fill up space. We do this so that you'll take it and you will learn from it. And you'll maybe cut it out and put it on your mirror in your bathroom in the morning. Or you'll put it on your refrigerator so that every time you go there, if you're like me, that's a popular spot. You know, you go to the refrigerator, and every time you go, you make a commitment that before you open the door, you'll read that verse of Scripture. You don't do it so that it's legalistic. You do it so that it's becoming 
second nature to you, and God's hiding it in your heart. What do we learn here if we, if we do hide this verse in our heart, Psalm 32, verse 5, on the front of your bulletin? We learn here that we can acknowledge our sin to him, and he will hear us, and he will rescue. He will forgive. And there will be times when that will need to come bubbling up in you. You will have ran away from God and, and rebelled in some specific area, and you will begin to, to beat yourself up, and you will begin to feel cast off and and abandoned by God. And you will need to bring up this verse that teaches you that if you will acknowledge your sin to Him, that He will forgive you. What, what do we learn from the songs that we sing? Here at Abner Creek, we're intentional that we're putting words there in front of you, that we're singing to God and about God that give a takeaway to you. I have a shelter. I have a shelter through any dark storm. That's what we just sang a minute ago. And some of you will need that because maybe this week or maybe a year from now, you will go into a very, very dark, lonely time where it seems like the sun is never going to rise in your life. And you need to understand that you have a shelter in that dark storm and his name is Jesus. Jonah here, in the midst of this storm, shows us that he's all these things that God had, by His grace, put into his life as he met with the people of God and as he worshipped his God, that in the moment of crucible, they come bubbling out. God's grace to Jonah in the Psalms that he had memorized revealed that Jonah could look again to God's temple. Jonah here in verse 4, look at it. He says, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again. Where does he learn that? How does he know that? How does he not in that moment think, I have so messed up, I have so ran away, I have so squandered the gift of God in my life that I don't deserve to get to look at Him. I am cast away. How does he know in that moment that he can look back to God? Because he's heard it time and time and time again in the Psalms. And God uses the Word of God through the Spirit of God to bring us back to him. Jonah knows he can look back to the temple of God by the grace that God showed him in these Psalms. That those who truly are children of God are never really driven away. Because their being held by the God of grace is not based on their ability or their merit or their grip. Their being held there is based on the strong, capable grip of Jesus Christ on the cross and coming out of the tomb. It was God's grace that led Jonah to learn those psalms in the beginning, and it's God's grace that causes him to remember them when he's in the midst of the storm. Many of you could share story after story of how you, you didn't even know that you really knew a 
truth about God. But in the middle of the storm, all of a sudden it came flooding back what you had learned somewhere along the way. And you may not be able to point to, hey, in June of 2011, we memorized this verse, and because we did, God used it, and I was able to recall it in this place. It may be more like, hey, I don't know where I picked this up. Maybe it was in all those years of vacation Bible school, or maybe it was in all those years of Sunday school growing up as a kid, or maybe it was all those years going through the youth ministry, or maybe it was all those years as, as, I, as I sat as a college student just faithfully coming to, to church and hearing the Word of God. Maybe that's not your story. But as we hide God's word in our heart, God brings it back to mind. And sometimes his rescue comes in those things that we already know. And third is this. Out of this text, I've got two more to quickly share with you this morning. Sometimes God's rescue comes dressed like retribution. Sometimes God's rescue comes out of those things that we already know. Sometimes, well, not sometimes, God's rescue comes to those who trust in His salvation alone, who have nowhere else to look. And this is the place where Jonah comes to. Look at verse 8 of Jonah chapter 2. Jonah, in the middle of this, after God has heard his cry, he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Forsake their hope of steadfast love. God's rescue comes to those who trust in His salvation alone. There's a world out there that says, oh, there's multiple ways to to be saved. There's many ways to, to God. Just the other day, it's been... A couple weeks ago or so now, I was out in my driveway on my day off, and I was um, doing some work on, on the car, which is, is not a normal thing for me. I'm not very handy, but I was out there, and I was sweating and, and uh, mostly making my knuckles bleed. And, um, and I look up, and I see coming down the driveway, there's a gentleman coming down, and he's got a tie on, which is odd for, for the temperature that was out there, and he's got a little hat on. And he comes walking up to me, and he hands me a pamphlet, and he says, hey, this is a, this is a Christian event. And I just want you to know that you're invited. I said, really? A Christian event? Okay, and and who are you with? And uh, he said, well, it's just a Christian event that you're invited to. So I looked at the pamphlet and I saw the the website. The website said, I think it was uh, jw.org, which is Jehovah's Witness. And as he's turning to walk away, I said, so you're a Jehovah's Witness? He said, yes, sir. I said, then why do you call yourself Christian? And he turned and he engaged and he said, because we are. And I said, really? And I said, well, what do you think about this? And, and we began to talk and we began to go back and forth. And finally, he, he tried to change the subject several times. And finally, he got around to, he said, well, well, do you celebrate Christmas? I said, well, yes. He said, but that's nowhere in your book. Why do you, why do you celebrate Christmas? I said, why are you bringing that up? That's not the issue. And he said, I'm bringing it up to show you that Christians have perverted the truth. And I said, but wait a minute. If Christians have perverted the truth, then why do you want to be known as a Christian organization that holds events? And he said, well, I've got to go. (laughs) There's a world out there that tells you that there are multiple roads that lead to God. 
That if you want to be saved, if you want to be right with God, then you can take multiple roads and they're all going to lead there. But the truth of the matter is, there is no road that leads to God. There is a road that leads from God because He came to us. And He came to us in the person of Jesus. And He is altogether different than the truth claims of this world. Your salvation is not dependent on anything that you have done. Your salvation is dependent on everything that He has done. He lived a perfectly obedient life when you did not. He went and died a death that was meant for you even though He didn't deserve to die that death. He was raised from the dead signifying that God the Father was pleased and totally satisfied in all that He had done. And the temptation is, I'm way off my notes here, but the temptation is this. The temptation is for us to think that we get into, we get into right relationship with God through Jesus, but then from that point forward, it's all up to us. Robert Schuller preached this for years out of the Crystal Cathedral. If it's going to be, it's up to me. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. That if we're going to get to heaven, what we sang earlier is we're going to get to heaven because God is faithful and He will take us all the way there. And there is truth in this that, that we work out our salvation as God works in us, but it's the grace of God that causes us to obey. He is sanctifying us. He is setting us apart. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. Salvation is His from beginning to end. We can't help but to see here that Jonah in the fish is a picture here in some ways of Jesus also. I started out by telling you that, that the fish in some ways represents hell. And the, it starts out in verse 17, the Lord appointed a fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Does that sound like anything else to you? Jesus himself said in Matthew 12 that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be. And just as Jonah was spit out on the dry land, Jesus would also be spit out on the dry land. The grave could not hold him. Jesus was sent on a mission to save those who didn't deserve it. I mean, Jonah was, so was Jesus. Jonah's rebellion led to hell and the grave. Jesus had no sin of his own, but voluntarily took the consequences for those that did. Jonah was sacrificed to save others, to save those sailors on the ship. Jesus was sacrificed to save all those who will believe. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights. Jonah trusted to rescue him, trusted God to, to rescue him from the pit, and so did Jesus. Jesus went willingly and bowed to the plan of God. Jonah was spit out of the fish after three days. Jesus was spit out of the earth after three days. Jonah went on to preach to the Ninevites, and Jesus, through his church, still preaches today to a world in need. Jonah gives us a picture of everywhere Jonah failed, Jesus succeeded. Jonah describes himself in this prayer. Verse 2, he says, I cried out from the belly of Sheol. It's the, it's the place of the grave. It's the death. Jonah here is needing to be saved from death. He describes the waves and the billows crashing over him. And I showed you the parallel in the psalm where it's a reference to the wrath of God. 
Jonah's sin earns him the wrath of God. He says here in verse 4, I'm driven away. Jonah in these moments feels driven away and abandoned by God because of his sin. In verses 5 and 6, he describes that the weeds are wrapped about him. And I can't help but see that Jonah in and of himself, even if, he, even if he knows, even if God does come through and rescue him, he describes these weeds wrapped around him. And I can't help but to think maybe he's talking about this sin nature that just entangles him. And even if God saves him, how is he going to save himself in the future? He can't seem to conquer these things. And what Jonah needs is Jonah desperately needs someone to come and save him from not only the the penalty of his sin, but the power of sin as well. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do for Jonah and for you and I. Jesus comes and, and dies so that we don't have to. Jesus comes, and you remember what he prayed in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. What cup? What's in the cup? The cup is filled with the wrath of God. The intense hatred for all of the sins of all who will ever turn from them and believe. And Jesus takes that cup and he drinks that cup down to the dregs. He doesn't leave any of the grainy stuff in the bottom. He takes it all so that Romans 8.1 can truly say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus on the cross, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus comes and allows himself in some way that we cannot understand to be forsaken by the Father so that you and I would have complete access to him. Uninterrupted. The veil in the temple has been torn. It is the veil of his flesh. Jesus has given us perfect righteousness and perfect power. The resurrection power. Jesus lived to conquer sin, perfectly obeying God's will, and then he came out of the grave. And the Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you as a believer to conquer sin in your life. Everything that you need for life and godliness is yours in Christ Jesus. God's rescue comes through his salvation alone. Stop trying to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Stop trying to fix yourself. Stop trying to bring about life change. Verse 9, Jonah exclaims, salvation belongs to the Lord. From beginning to end, salvation belongs to the Lord. Finally is this. Let me take just two or three more minutes and, and share with you this last one. Sometimes God's uh, rescue comes dressed like retribution. Um, Sometimes God's rescue comes, uh, let me go back, out of what we already know. Sometimes God's rescue comes, or always it comes, as we trust in His salvation alone. And then let me get to this last one. Sometimes God's rescue comes after we praise Him for it. Sometimes God's rescue comes after we praise Him for it. Notice that this prayer and this thanksgiving comes before verse 10. What happens in verse 10? God speaks to the fish and the fish vomits him out on dry land. It's in the crucible. It's in the middle of the fish. It's in the middle of still not knowing whether God will save him or not that he praises him for the salvation. 
You say, well, that, that, that just seems strange. It's not strange to the believer at all. Because what the believer comes to understand, he comes to be a believer not because there's something in him that figures this thing out, but he comes to be a believer or she comes to be a believer after God in his grace pursues them to the end of themselves and rescues them out of that. And they come to know him as a God who is altogether trustworthy. And when, when you know God like that, your praise of him is not dependent on whether he rescues out you out of the situation that you're in. You understand that he is altogether worthy of praise, whether your life comes to an end today or it continues to go on. He is altogether worthy. This is why Paul could say things like, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. My life's in his hands. Whatever God wants to do, I'm, I'm going to praise him anyway because he knows what's best. He's altogether worthy. It's why Paul could go on in Romans chapter 8 and write in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age, this present time, are not worthy of comparing to what is coming. So if, if God deems necessary that I suffer in this world so that I will then turn and praise him, whether he rescues me out of it before he takes me to heaven or not, I know that he's worthy. Romans 8, 28 through 30. We know, Paul writes this, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also will glorify. Too many of us, we forget this. We forget that, that the point of the Christian life is not for us to have fire insurance. We forget that the point of the Christian life is not for God to make us happy. We forget that the point of the Christian life, the reason that God just doesn't immediately just take us on home, is because we're not fit for there yet. And God is going to use our lives and what comes to us here in His sovereignty to shape us and mold us into the image and the character of Christ. And too many of us forget that and we begin to operate, we begin to respond to life based on what we feel. Well, you know, I just, I just didn't feel good in worship today. I just, I just didn't feel like it was all there. I just, I just didn't feel like the band really had it today. I, di I, just, didn't, I just didn't feel like the people were into it today. I, I wasn't really feeling the songs. When instead what we ought to do is come in to say, it doesn't matter if we strike a note. Our God is on His throne. He is infinitely worthy of the praise of every single person who has ever lived or who ever will from every tribe and nation and tongue on the planet. And instead of saying, well, you know, they hurt my feelings. 
You don't understand how hard it is to be reconciled to them because you don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. And you're right, I don't. But I know that God has spoken. That God has called us to a particular way to live. And it is not to live according to our feelings. It is to live according to faith. That His Word is true. That He knows best. That whatever comes into my life, He has deemed necessary. It has come through the hands not of a God who loves to punish, but of a God who loves to save. He is just, but look at the cross. He loves. And if there is something that's come into my life, it has been because it's been filtered through His hands. He's chosen things and He's allowed things to come into our lives Because he knows it will produce something in us that is more valuable than we would ever chase after in and of ourselves. Sometimes God's rescue comes dressed like retribution. Sometimes it comes out of what we already know. Sometimes God's rescue comes after we praise him for it. But God's rescue always comes through his way of salvation. Turn and be saved today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would glorify yourself in the preaching of your word. God, that you would glorify yourself in the response of your people. That you in this place would look with mercy on those who are without mercy in this moment. And God, that you would bring life to them that John 5, 24 would be true, that they would cross over from death to life today because you speak to the valley of dry bones. God, I pray, Lord, that all across this room, where whatever someone is dealing with, God, that they would understand that you are a good and a gracious God. And you may not rescue them out of that specific situation. It may be deemed necessary for them, but God, you are worthy of their praise anyway. But God, that we would look to you, that we would call on you, and God, that you would be our Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.